This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Life is process, change inherent in all we do. All is changing and we are a part of an evolving experiment, an unfolding process from birth to death and the mystery of before and after. Yet we become attached to something or someone and want to freeze-frame moments. We hope to hold on to the good and yet hurry the difficult away. Joan Stanford loves the quote, Sometimes the best thing to do when it is raining is to let it rain. We cannot change that about ourselves, but it is helpful to remember everything is always moving. Our intentions matter, and our responses to what arises as well, and it is helpful to recall that joy in process. For Joan, playing with art materials allows that. She does try to play freely accepting mistakes, letting the process lead her. Valeria interviews Joan Stanford, the author of The Art of Play, Ignite Your Imagination to Unlock Insight, Healing, and Joy. At 42, Joan, a busy mother, innkeeper, discovered, to her surprise and delight, a creative process for insight and healing that allowed even her, a self-proclaimed non-artist, to start making art. In The Art of Play, Stanford shares her journey through art and poetry as an example of how taking, or more appropriately, making time to pay attention to the imagery our daily lives presents to us can expand our awareness and joy. And she offers readers suggestions for how to do this for themselves, inviting them to embark on their own journey. Joan Stanford, M-A-A-T-R-B-C, created a high school class, Alternative Mirrors, addressing body image and self-esteem issues, for which she was awarded the Seroptimist's Making a Difference for Women Award. Joan is also the author of Dining at the Ravens. She offers imagination play shops and creativity retreats at the Mendocino Center for Living Well, which she and her husband started in 2008 at the Stanford Inn Resort in Mendocino, California which they have owned and operated since 1980. She believes in the power of art making to heal individuals and communities. Here is the interview with Joan Stanford. In your own words, who is Joan Stanford? Ooh, it's a good question because it changes. I, I think how I feel determines what I want to say about myself. But 
uh, in general. I'm um, a woman who really enjoys life, um, enjoys learning more every day and taking in more every day. Um, I'm an innkeeper and an art therapist. Um, I really believe in the value of doing some creativity um, to open yourself to life, to be more engaged with life. And I'm a grandmother now, and I'm a pet owner. I live in a beautiful place in Northern California, Mendocino. I think that's enough. (laughs) (laughs) And that's wonderful, too. Thank you. I have a few warm-up questions before we talk about your book, The Art of Play. Ignite your imagination to unlock insight, healing, and joy. So my first warm-up question is, what is life, Joan? Life to me is growth. It's process. It's usually, for me, I see it as an ever-expanding opening. If you want to think of a flower, a seed underground in the darkness, and then growing, coming up, seeking the light, seeking expansion. So life to me is all about change and process. What do you think is the opposite of life? Well, personally, I would have to say when I feel less alive is when I feel very shut down and contracted in myself. So to me, the opposite of life would probably be, I don't see death really as the opposite of life, except death in the the lack of connection and joy. Uh, with being alive, with being in a human body for this brief moment. I like that. What is the meaning of freedom to you? Ah, that's a good one. I suppose for me, because I'm, you know, talk about this in the book a lot. For me, freedom is when I stop listening to those voices that would limit me, limit me with beliefs, with judgments, with criticisms, all the shoulds that I've um, internalized probably over a lifetime, to be free of all those voices, to just let myself be. Um, As I say that, I just did a big kind of exhale and let my shoulders drop and my hands drop. So it's, it's sort of that letting go of whatever really constricts me in my mind, in my body, in my heart. I love that too. I love your wisdom. (laughs) So far, so wonderful. (laughs) Well, thank you. I love your questions. (laughs) At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And what is your vision for a new world? Oh, that's a wonderful big question. Um, Well, I think to be cliche, the world always needs a more loving uh, stance, first of all, to ourselves, to be kinder to ourselves, to be less Um, hard on ourselves and the same with others to be less, uh, you know, less discriminating about everything really. Um, The world needs connection for sure. It needs, it needs to take in instead of separating so much. And I think in the work I do with expressive arts, we deal a lot with shadow and those parts of ourselves we disown. And I think what happens in the larger world is when we deny that we have some negative feelings or um, when we're feeling small and petty, we project that out onto other people and make them the bad guy. And I think over the last few years here in the States, there's been an awful lot of being in one camp or the other. And 
to me, that's extremely destructive because we need to converse. We need to dialogue and share. Just as I said, internally, we need to dialogue, but definitely with one another, particularly those people that we find it really difficult to listen to. Because otherwise, we're sort of at war, always at war. And that's not what my vision for the world is. It's to be more peaceful and, um, you know, ideally existing, coexisting with everybody, having a value. And it's okay to be different from somebody else. In fact, it's great to be different from somebody else. <laughs> it, it's like an art piece, you know, you want lots of color, you want lots of shapes. Um, so... My vision for the world, I guess, would be this interactive mural, uh, an art piece that moves and, and um, invites us into it in a deep way um, rather than alienates us. I love that, too. I have to use the same word, love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the world needs love. I, I wanted to say that right off the bat, but I think love starts with... Um, really looking at what prevents us from loving. You know, there's, I think Rumi had a great, a great quote about that, um, about allowing yourself to let love in. It's a biggie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Integration, love, peace. So, but speaking of love in a sense, what, how do you define love? What is love to you? Wow. It's very hard for me to define that. Um, isn't that interesting? You've stumped me here. What is love? I know how when I feel love, I think I just feel bathed in golden light. When I, when I love is this sense of total belonging, total acceptance, unconditional warmth. And when I feel love for someone else, I feel like I'm just almost, there's no um, barrier. There's no skin between us. We're just, we're just all one being. We're one breath. So love to me is, is allowing, your, allowing yourself to be more diffused and to connect and join with someone else or many things, many other things. Don't know how to say it, but I know what I, I again, my body responded to the question right away. I just felt my hands go to my heart and then open wide, you know? Right, right. It's really hard to put into words. You're right. It is. Yeah. It is. These are very good questions. Yeah. And um, my next question, warm-up question, has to do with God. Uh, what, where, and who is God to you? I guess God is that which is behind, behind, behind. Whatever, if you could ever go back to the very essence of existence, there would be hopefully something there. But to me, it's a very, very big mystery, and I, I cannot define it. Where God is, I would say God is, there's no place God wouldn't be. What was the other part of it? Uh, who. <laughs> who. What and who. Yeah. What and who. Who. I don't see it as a who for me. And, and I'm, you know, I, I think I have a very um, alive spiritual connection to the world. But I don't, and I was brought up in an organized religion, but I don't have a physical uh, vision of God, like being a, you know, a, a man in the sky or, or um, in a church. I, I don't have that. So I can't really say who is God. I think we're all, we all have a piece of that. If you believe that there's um, a divine divinity kind of thing, but I feel like life, wild life 
is is very divine in the sense that I think of that. So um, to me, God would be everywhere. Speaking of religion, how do you define spirituality? And do you connect spirituality to religion somehow? Oh, I think for sure. Um, I think you can have a very... Um, you know, be a very religious person and, and be a very spiritual person at the same time. But to me, a lot of people that have what I would call a, a very um, sort of an anti-religion stand, I would say, they're sort of, you know, they oppose that, could also have a very open spiritual life. And it would be, for me, uh, you know, trying to become the best person you could be and, and, and continue to understand more, to have more compassion. You know, many of the things that the Bible, uh, and I was brought up in, in, um, in, a, in a Christian um, church, that the Bible, the golden rule, and several of the things that the, the Bible teaches us, I think are integral principles to live by. So I, I don't, you know, mock any of that. But I think you can have a, a spiritual connection to others, to yourself, to the world around you without practicing a particular type of uh, religion. Although I find with my practice, rituals help very much. And um, so I, I do actually advocate a lot for having some sort of a, like, for, for example, for me, if I'm going to sit down and, and do some writing or um, some artwork, I typically will light a candle um, just to change my consciousness from, you know, my doing the dishes or whatever I was doing before. Um, so that, that, that whatever it is that allows you to transition from the everyday um, tasks and, and routine ways of responding to a more intentional, thoughtful way, um, that to me helps. So ritual functions in that way for me. Right, right. What do you think is the main purpose of life? I think it's to grow. You know, we start out, you know, as this tiny little embryonic thing. And we, at this point in my life, I'm, you know, very different than I started out as. And, and we continue to grow uh, physically. And I think uh, our task is to grow spiritually. And I think uh, the arc of our lives seems to be, uh, you know, accumulating more identities and, and um, becoming more this and that in the outer world. And then after midlife, I think it's more about, you know, what really matters, not so much in the outer world, like where we get positive uh, reinforcements because of our careers or whatever, but more, more heartfelt things, which our careers could also have. I'm not separating them. But then I think it, it's a different kind of journey. And, you know, Philosophically, I think as as you age, for some people anyway, hopefully not most of us, but some people as they age, their bodies start to almost let them down. They they can rely on their bodies less, and they have to find other ways. And I think I think Cat Stevens had a song, but there was something about you know my body. It's been a good friend, but I won't need you in the end, or something like that. And so I think something about you know our, the purpose is to grow. And to know that we're more than just this physical entity in a body, that the body is the vehicle for our, our soul or our self to really get where we've got to get to. And in the end, we won't need our body. And nobody really knows what happens. But I think, 
you know, uh, physics tells us that energy cannot be destroyed. It can only be, you know, transformed. So I tend to think that we're here to really transform ourselves and uh, the process is ongoing, hopefully. Yeah. And I'm wondering if, if the purpose of our lives is uh, the same to grow each one of us, um, but through different uh, gifts and talents and missions. And if that's true, what is your mission? What is your gift to the world? Huh. <laughs> well, right now, I would say my gift is helping people reclaim that child spirit. And, and I know we're going to talk about the book and my work. Uh, as we go on. But to me, you know, I, I don't mean to over-idealize childhood, but to me, we come in with this innate sense of curiosity and we learn and we're joyful in the learning. And I, I just think it's really, really important to help people touch back into that early place and find joy and, and find wonder again, because so many people get so caught up um, and they're so busy. I hate to say it, but I, I feel like we can sleepwalk through our days and through our lives and end up going to bed at the end of the day. And if we asked ourselves, well, what, what was special about today or what, what surprised me today? We wouldn't really know because we just kind of did the same thing. Whereas a child, you know, if, if, I mean, even I think, um, even after they're in school, but I tend to think, you know, younger than that. But, you know, a child just has endless, boundless energy. And if they, if they had a day, they're going to, they don't want to go to bed. You know, they, they just, it's like, no more, more, more. And, and kids don't want to walk. They want to run or skip. You just see them. They're in motion. They're moving. They're engaged in, in life every moment. Um, and we still have that capacity and we see examples. Um, sometimes they'll show, I think this was recently, somebody ran a marathon and she was, I don't remember, she was in her 80s, even maybe 90s, but here she is running a marathon. And um, can you imagine how wonderful that would feel? And um, so I think that's that child spirit that just pushes and wants to, um, doesn't want to, you know, slow down. <laughs> and and I, so to reclaim that or touch back into that, I, that's my mission. That's my mission right now. Plus I'm a new grandmother. So my mission is also to, to learn from my granddaughter. This is the section where we begin to talk about your work. And my first question is about the inspiration and intention of uh, the Art of Play book. It seems like you already answered the question. Your mission's connected in a way to the inspiration and intention or not. <laughs> Well, no, it is. But, you know, when the book started, I had no intention really of writing a book book. I um, had always written, you know, little poems. I always hesitated to call myself a poet or an artist, but I had done things. And I was in a group and often someone would say, could I get a copy of your poem or could you send me a, you know, an email with your a photo of your collage or whatever? So when I was about to turn 65, which was quite a while back, um, prior to being 65, I thought, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a little book. And I had in mind one of these sweet little books. They're very small and they have like a cord in the middle. And I would have this lovely little script or, you know, type something lovely on my computer and have some pictures in there and just give it to a few of my really good friends that I was hoping to celebrate my birthday with. But 
And the process of doing that, um, I invited a woman who I call a real poet, you know, and to come and help me select some poems. And as she was helping me, she said, you know, Joan, the real story is that you started doing this, even though you were such a busy person, you were not a, you know, not an artist person, you were an innkeeper, you were working, you know, 24-7, 365 days a year. And yet somehow you were called to spend a little time with yourself and do these things. That's the real story. How did that happen? So then I thought, well, I'll write a little introduction. Well, it kind of grew <laughs> and it became the book. And at the beginning, I really wanted, I, the original titles was just whispers because what I wanted it to be about my intention was to inspire others to listen to themselves and to pay attention to things that were going on and to express that in some way. And, but then as I went further and sent it out, people said, this is about playing. And somehow, as soon as they said playing, I really, that just like, that ignited something in me. Um, because I realized that starting to do artwork, and I, my mission, <laughs> my mission to go back to that question, was to, you know, not to have it be some kind of specialized talent that just belonged to people that thought they were artists. I wanted everyone to know that we are all innately artists. We come into the world and um, every society, you know, a lot of societies, it's, it's, a, it's a natural part of the culture that everyone participates in the arts in some way. But we've tended to, um, you know, let the marketplace dictate who deserves to be an artist. And I'm not saying we should have galleries and have shows, but what I'm saying is everyone would benefit from spending some time with their own private imagery because our images are, are deeply in us and they're very personal and um, they have information for us. I truly believe that. And so, um, but to get there, you have to have, you have to be able to play. Otherwise it becomes too serious, too heavy. And of course our immediate response would be, I can't do it, I, you know, and our critics would jump in. So to, to bring that aspect of play to it, why don't you just play with these art materials? Why don't you just play with the idea of, of what would it look like if you had, you know, um, whatever it was you want? What would that, what would that look like? What would, how could you represent, say, a feeling of peace or a feeling of um, um, stillness? And, and immediately, you know, people start doing something. Um, so it was very much a trigger for me, the play thing. Um, and now at the inn, um, we have this in the Northern California, Stanford Inn, and, and I offer play shops. And a lot of the guests, I'd never call it therapy, but it's very therapeutic as we know to do that. But I, the guests that will sign up for this um, are very often, you know, professional people, techie people, and they haven't done anything with art um, from, you know, from maybe kindergarten or preschool even. Um, so they come and they do this. And my husband often says that I should take a photo before and after because they come <laughs> out and they look so different. And it's, and it's, to me, it's like they're years younger is how I feel like they're given permission. I try to make it very safe because anytime something wants to emerge from hiding, it has to feel very safe. And, um, and I make it very unintimidating. Like this doesn't have to be, 
you know, a, a message for you. Uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, the kinds of things I experienced at all. I don't tell them that, but um, just, you know, just see where it goes. It's process and life is process. And as we do these things, um, well, what I found, and I, I guess I talk about this in the book, but what I found um, when I went back to school to become a, an art therapist, doing the pieces, doing the processes that um, I, I worked on, it was like a laboratory. I could practice all sorts of things on paper, mainly making decisions because at the time that I did all this, I felt very locked in. Like I didn't feel like I had a lot of choice. Um, you know, I felt like I, I had to be, you know, the good mother, the good wife, the good innkeeper, and everything was very outer directed. So to suddenly be the rule maker and the rule breaker and to have to make decision after decision after decision just to do something on paper, um, you know, it was a practice and it and it transferred over to my life. I became much more interested in in being actively engaged in things. I, I, I really did have a shift in that. So I think I'm off the track here, but... No, you're actually answering a lot of my initial questions. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, there's a real power in it, I guess. And I, I think, especially when we're doing any kind of therapy, when people come to therapy, they often are in a stuck place. So what you want to do is help them find that sense of agency again, that they do have the ability to act. Not that you want to gloss over whatever the situation is that they're in or that they're stuck, because you want to pay attention to that as well. As I said earlier on, I think if we have something going on that we would rather not have going on, we push it away, we disown it and bury it. And that can become problematic. So if someone's really stuck in a place um, you know, we might want to look at that. But as I say, when I'm doing the play shops and, and the book, it's really encouraging people not to think of it in terms of therapy. It will help if you've got something going on because you can ask a question of the artwork. And I really encourage that kind of reflection after you've made something. But you don't have to do that. It can just be fun playing with colors you like, playing with shapes you like. Um, it's really letting your intuition take you down some path and trusting that. I absolutely love the concept, this, the method, because it feels um, and it sounds so natural. Um, how do we know when we're exploring this, uh, what you call child spirit and not childish uh, behaviors? Ah, that's a good one. Yeah, when, when I talk about the child, I'm talking about the child that really is open to sensate experiences. So the curiosity of like, what would it feel like to touch, you know, a prickly or the surface of an avocado or because a prickly you don't want to touch, but you know, something that has texture, what would that feel like, you know, and, and just that curiosity that a child has, because things are new, of course, the child that being childish to me would be, well, the image I get immediately is, is like a little kid sort of crossing their arms on their chest and stamping their feet like the resistant child. Um, and of course, you know, we, we had those experiences as children. Um, 
the process for me with the child being playful and curious and enjoying that and finding joy in that play would be the child that isn't squashed, isn't told, you know, oh, you can't use blue, you know, the sky, or you can't use, I guess the sky is blue, but you can't use red for the sky. The sky is blue, where of course the sky could be red at sunset. And for the child, it could be red anytime. He wants it red and he should be allowed to make it red. But, you know, children start to want to win the approval naturally of their care person, their caregiver or their teacher or their friends. And so they start, they stop doing that just openly curious play. They start wanting to make a product that someone else will recognize and like. And to me, that's the shift. And that's the shift. I'm encouraging people to make in the opposite direction when they do the play shop. Don't be worried about the product. This is about the process. So it's not about impressing me or even impressing yourself. It's really about expressing some kind of energy right now or some kind of feeling. Um, so I help them get into their bodies too, because of course that's where our feelings are. Um, and to quiet themselves a bit because our minds are, you know, racing all the time. And, and the book title originally whispers was because I really believe that if we wanted to listen to that inner self, the child spirit, I call it the child spirit because to me, that's an authentic awareness we bring and we have it growing up, but it gets, it gets uh, altered and suppressed because we start to give the authority to what other people think. And as children, you know, um, and that's, it's a natural process, of course, but as young children, you're very actively involved in your own imaginations. And, you know, um, there's a wonderful po uh, poem by Billy Collins that I often read, um, almost always read when I'm doing um, a workshop called On Turning Ten. And I don't know if we have time to read it, but it's wonderful because he talks about turning the first big number and how, um, you know, when he was younger, he was this and he was that. He was a wizard. He was whatever. But then as he turns 10, he says, like, but, you know, now I'm just standing at the window looking out. And it's like it's time to say goodbye to my imaginary friends. And it, it's just a very poignant poem for me about that that necessary shift from our own rich inner world to, um, you know, becoming a, a, a growing adult that knows there's a consensus reality, but there's still that rich inner world that, that um, it lives in us and to open that up again and tap into it. Another thing that um, I hope I can, I'm not talking too much, but uh, no, it's fine. There's a, yeah. Something else I do, like uh, I used to do when I did an in-service to help people understand why this might, you know, be good for students or good for seniors when I worked with different groups, um, was I would have every, everyone say the word, you know, think in their mind the word tree. And then I would have them picture a tree and picture it in a setting. And then we would go around the room and everyone would say, you know, what their tree was and where it was. So from the one word tree, 
which is a common word, consensus tree, right? Um, everyone had their very own tree and nobody had the same tree usually. Um, sometimes, like here we live in redwood, so sometimes the redwood would come up more than once. But it was often, you know, for me, it was always a weeping willow in my backyard as a young girl. I, I always see that tree. Um, but the point I was trying to make was we, we can use language and of course, we understand one another, but there's always associations and imagery attached to the words. And images are evocative and they ask for a response. So once we invite, like if we were going to do art, for example, if we invite an image instead of a word, um, there's going to be more to it that's personal to us, that's authentically ours. And so that interpretive aspect, and I know this is, is very common now, um, you know, that, that we've helped create our realities and the law of attraction and all these things. But it, it is really true that we're always looking at the world through our own experience, our own lens. And it's always limited in some way, no matter how well we think we're doing it at erasing, you know, getting beyond it. We're still, there's no way, there's no way we can be anybody but who we are. So to claim all of the parts of ourselves and, and express those. And for me, it's not just about self-awareness. It's not just sort of, you know, um, looking at your belly button. This is how we make the world healthier. This is how we make our communities healthier um, by taking care of ourselves in a loving way. And, um, you know, here at the end, we, we have a wellness center and we have a plant-based restaurant. And so we are often involved in, um, you know, vegetarian or, or um, wellness uh, conferences. And I'm always amazed at, you know, the topics. They'll always have uh, nutrition. They'll always have diet. They'll always have exercise. Very often meditation yoga, that kind of thing. But rarely do they have the topic of um, creativity, like having a creative uh, connection for yourself. And it doesn't have to be art making. Um, although, I, as I say, I think that gives you information. But it, anything you do that gives you joy, like gardening or baking, or even how we dress ourselves, we're always expressing our own creativity in some way. And to own that, to own that we have that creativity and, and then to celebrate it. Um, to me, this is, this is really all about health. Um, and again, not just, not just personal well-being, but the well-being of our communities. Yes, and I agree 100% with the integrating the creative ideas and works. Um, I have a question about creativity and why most of us as adults, we resist and have created so many excuses instead for embracing the, the child spirit, as you call it, or this creative nature. But before that, let me ask you a question about, yeah, you mentioned quieting the mind, uh, that you integrate this into your method, and also the body, getting the body involved. How do you do that? How do you get the body involved? And how do you teach people to quiet their minds? Well, because it's... Um what I call a play shop, it, I try to keep it, again, uh, not too, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, woo-woo, <laughs> not, to be, not right. to be too strange for people. So when I have a wonderful space um, where I, my studio, my office, a wonderful space and lots of 
you know, uh, wonderful stuff on the walls and I have a, a, a lovely uh, statue and I have candles and I have music. So when they enter my space and I take them down, it's on sort of on the lowest level. So we kind of go down a path and then come in and I always liken it to we're going to go deeper, deeper and quiet ourselves. And so they come into the room and at first they sit on a couch and we talk um, and I have them, you know, just take a few moments to breathe and to feel themselves on, you know, in their bodies on the couch, uh, just a few minutes, just to shift from being outside to coming inside. And I talk about if they're comfortable closing their eyes to make that shift from, you know, the social world to the more private personal world and just spend a few minutes with their eyes closed and breathing. So it's very brief, very simple. Um, and then I just, then I, you know, begin the conversation about what they hope to have happen, if they have any specific want, because it's always customized to the people. Um, and do they have an intention? Um, sometimes if they're really, uh, and I, I talk, you know, I go over a few of sort of my approaches so that it's not too intimidating to get back to what you were saying just a minute ago about why is it so hard for us to do this? Um, it's very, even for myself, it's still very intimidating to um, be presented with a white page. Um, and to me, that's the metaphor for life as well. It's, you know, we have to do something. We have to start somewhere. And um, you have to trust. So, you know, um, if they're really intimidated, which they sometimes are, I also have warm-ups that we can do. Um, and I have decks of cards. There's all these wonderful cards and most of them have beautiful imagery and often a little word on or a little write up on the backside. So if they're very stuck, I suggest they pull a card and, and again, right away, the image and the words will evoke something that triggers something in them. Um, different things I can do to get them over that initial hump. Um, but, uh, I think the reason it is so hard is because we've really, as I think I alluded to earlier, we've really internalized these messages that, you know, uh, we can't do it or we're not good at it. And um, who am I to think I can do this? And, you know, someone is so much better than me. So all that comparative stuff that we put ourselves through, it's very hard to let go of that. Mm. So it's um, in a way a process. I see you use that word a lot in your book, process is in process. Very much. Um, I noticed something very interesting in your book during your own journey, art of play journey, I would say. There were chains in you, internal chains. You call them the before and after chains. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Right. The before and after tendencies. Yes. Yeah. And, and I... Yeah, and I call them the before and after tendencies because I contend, I contend to be this way or I contend to be that way, and and it's a continuum. Again, a process. Like some days I'm I'm more this position than that position. But that was dramatic for me. Um, that was really dramatic for me. And and actually, a lot of people um, have commented on that. Uh, you know that they are very interested in how I'm going to open it because I can't remember right off the bat. But. Um, yeah, I have some of them here that caught my attention. <laughs> okay, go ahead. You you ask. You ask because then I can respond. Yeah, I have four of them that really, I mean, for some reason, I wanted to uh, explore them more. The first one, you say the shift from why, the question, to why not, and what and how. Uh-huh. So talk to me how this one happened. 
Well, you know, I don't know if I know exactly how it happened, but I know there was um, in my before life, mm-hmm. um, I would definitely, you know, be more that person that would say, you know, why does it have to be this way? Or, or why did I do that? Or, or, you know, there was a lot of that kind of critical why, like, um, and then when it shifted to why not, that was like, the open-endedness of that. That's the, the open-endedness of making art to me, that when I was saying it's a practice or it's something that you can apply to life, to me it was like, well, why not try using black instead of red here? Why, why not try white instead of, you know, blue? So these minor little choices um, were kind of why nots. And it was kind of like the what if. Um, instead of what am I doing you know, what, what is it all about? And, and things that would have, or I was asking for some kind of definitive response to those. If I just said, what if it was more like, there's many possibilities. Why am I trying to just choose one? Um, why do I want life to be something I can answer? Isn't mystery a wonderful thing and keeps pulling me further along? Like I want to know the answer, like reading a mystery novel, you're going to turn the next page and the next page. It's, it's a very exciting thing. Um, and if I can accept that mystery, life is mystery. Yeah, yeah. And it is. I don't know if that answers what you asked, but um, it, was, it was shifting. Uh, I think the shift is, and many of, the quest, uh, many of those in that chart um, are a shift from, I would say, being more the victim place of why is this happening to me? Um, to being more of like a participant. And I, I actually do have a choice in this. I, I can choose how I feel, how I react, and I can choose to be better next time or do something different next time if I'm in that critical, self-critical place, which I was a lot. I mean, I, I really was when I, um, when I was in my busy place, I call it, um, I had an awful lot of resentment. And to me, that's a killer. When you talk about death, earlier, the question about death. To me, I guess that's a kind of death when you just are full of resentment. It's an awful place. And um, I also envied. I, I thought other people, you know, had it easier or, or why weren't, why wasn't I enjoying myself more, you know? <laughs> so um, to, to lay those down, to look at them, play with them, explore them, and then realize I don't have to be that. I, I don't, that's a choice. That's incredibly empowering. Yeah. And that, Joan, that shows clearly the powerful connection between creativity, art, and healing. Definitely. That's so clear to me. So the other um, before and after tendency, as you call it, I put a huge change. It says um, from doing it right to exploring, experimenting, uh, no right or wrong. That's the play. That's definitely play. Because um, a child learns by experimenting and trying different things. I mean, that's how they develop everything, really, their concepts. Um, So instead of there being one right way to doing it um, or feeling I had to get it right, it's more about trying and experimenting and discovering as I go along. And, And that's the aliveness, the aliveness. Most of these, most of these, frankly, if you look at the left and the right, before and after, um, the before being on the left, are, are about, about aliveness, coming more alive rather than fixated or stuck. Yeah. And letting go of perfectionism, isn't it? Totally. 
which is the huge block, which I never use that word, but that's one of the biggest blocks to doing anything. In fact, with the book, I really experienced that because I, I got very much in that place of, well, who am I? Because there's wonderful books out there, even wonderful books on what I talk about. And and there was this thing about, you know, I, I couldn't really start it. In fact, that was one of my big things that I was hard on myself about was I would start things but not finish. And I realized that a lot of the finishing, the failure to finish was because I wanted it to be perfect and perfect was never going to happen. So I just gave up partway through and I didn't have to admit that it wasn't perfect. Right, right. Wow. And that's definitely the challenge uh, most of us face in being creative or, like you say, more open to the choices and the possibilities in life is perfectionism, the feeling that we are not enough the way we are. Not good enough and not deserving. I, I think the thing with joy, too, is to really say to yourself, I deserve this instead of I haven't earned it. I, you know, who am I? Uh, who am I was a big one for me. But to feel joy and not feel guilty about joy, about being happy, uh, being full, being full of life. It's, it's like there's shame sometimes in all those things. As much shame in that as in being, you know, something that had happened to you. There is shame in, in being out there. Yeah, yeah. Just came to mind a uh, perhaps a challenge that I face still. It's a practice, a process, but I try to practice also this um, idea of not doing what other people uh, not just expect from me, but also what they like and admire the most about what I do or how the way I behave, let's say. So that's another thing that I try to practice, not to be obsessed with the idea of pleasing others just because they like whatever it is that I do, that it is healthy and good, but I don't want to be so focused to the point of losing my freedom to just be joyful and to be me. Totally. I understand that. And often it's the same with um, art. Some people think that it's okay to give positive comments. But positive comments are just as limiting in a way because then you will, you think, and a lot of professional artists get into this problem where, you know, they painted something once and it got great acclaim. So they paint it again and again, and then they lose their connection to art. So, uh, um, you know, it, that's that attachment, attachment to your own image and how other people see you. And like you say, if we're too attached to that, um, yeah, we don't we don't have that freedom anymore to explore and be more fully other things as well, because we're we're very much a composite ourselves. You know, we're not we're not single. So when you asked who I was at the beginning, who am I? Um, I'm many parts and you, we all are. And we hopefully keep discovering new new facets of ourselves and not just be the pleaser. Right. Right. How do we balance this desire to please others? This is something in us, innate, this desire to connect and to please others, which is wonderful. But how do we balance uh, self-love and self-awareness to, um, to connecting with others and pleasing them as well? It's probably difficult, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah. I, I don't really have a, a quick answer to that. I think it's always, again, just having that ability to reflect somewhat. So if you like at the end of this conversation, I'm sure I'm going to sit down and think, oh, I should have said this, I should have done that. And, you know, we're, we're kind of um, critiquing ourselves as we go along. Um, but I think having some kind of a practice, whether it's meditation, 
yoga, whatever, something where you're basically in your own space, your own body, and you can connect in and touch back there. I think the more often you do that, the the safer you probably are from from slipping into, I'm just taking care of pleasing someone else. I'm also taking care of myself. Um, but yes, we, we definitely want to, we need that connection and we want the connection to feel good. And we feel good when we, you know, get that smile from somebody, we've pleased them. And we don't feel so good when we just get a flat response. Right. Yeah. Maybe letting go of that attachment to feel good all the time. Yes. And I think our society is really guilty of that. I think European <laughs> countries are better at that. Um, we tend to think we should always be up. And, and so depression is um, medicated away, whereas depression is a natural flow of, of, of the cycle. Mm, yeah. Sadness, right? Yeah. So true, uh, Joan. So uh, we are almost at the end of the interview, and um, I'm going to point out a, uh, a poem that caught my attention too, especially the end of this poem. The end was just incredibly enlightening to me. You say, it is getting right down to it, writing it down. In the end, it's just beginning. That is just wonderful. Thank you. It's by the light of an oil lamp. It was a power outage. It was actually a power outage here. But no, I, that's, and that's a perfect ending for the interview because I think that's exactly right. Um, we, including myself, we all, you know, aspire to do something and we set out some ideas about that. But in the end, it's, it's just getting down to doing whatever it is you feel called to do. Um, it's just actually being responsive to yourself and to your environment. And um, yeah. In the end, it's just doing it, get, writing it down if it's a book, writing, uh, exploring with art if that's what you want to do. Just doing it instead of thinking about doing it. We spend so much energy thinking about doing something. True. So true. If we can let go of the fear, right? Um, but actually, the last, the poem that I would like to um, not really end this section, but I would like you to read to us is the, the runaway word poem. I love that poem. <laughs> oh, yes. I, yes. And, and uh, I talk the way the book is set up, I'll, I'll have a poem, but then I'll write about what was going on behind it. And that was actually uh, when I was working at the schools, I had a magnetic poetry board and we had, anyway, I'll read a poem. It's called um, The Runaway Word. The runaway word was perfect. Upside down on the floor, safe, forever out of reach. And then I also did a second poem on this. The word perfect ran away, hid upside down on the carpet, forever impossible to find. And true story, I was cleaning up my office weeks later, and I found the word perfect hidden in the carpet. And, I, and anyway, that was the genesis for the poem. Well, I was not supposed to be found, <laughs> but you did. <laughs> it might be the book then. <laughs> um, so would you like to add anything, Joan, before I ask you my final questions? No, I'm just delighted to meet you this way and talk with you um, and to, to muse on these questions you've posed. Uh, it's been wonderful. So no, I, I wouldn't add anything. Thank you. Thank you. So my final questions. Uh, today, how do you define success? What is to be successful to you? I suppose following our conversation, 
it would be to feel that if I said I was going to do something, I actually followed through and did it. And I let it be whatever it was without asking it to be more. So, for example, our business life, to trust that what we're doing is the right thing to be doing to bring intention to what I do and to feel that I carried out that intention. That would be success. Yeah, sounds great to me. (laughs) (laughs) What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself? I think I'm still learning the hardest lesson. But I think to that I had a voice and I had and I was entitled to use it. I had ideas and I was entitled to share them, that I had a responsibility. I couldn't just hide uh, and feel safe behind something else, um, even behind an idea of myself. And I had to trust. I think the hardest lesson was really trusting, which I say a lot. With, with art process, you have to trust the process. I have to trust myself. Um, I have to trust in a workshop. I have to trust the people coming to it will, will receive it as much as I want to offer something. So the hardest lesson, I would say, was, I guess it's, it's coming back now just to me, to feel safe in expressing who I am in this world. Right. Yeah. Mm. Wow, that speaks to, you speak for so many of us, especially women for some reason. (laughs) Yes, especially women. Even though we've had the benefit of women's liberation, we still, I think when you talked about pleasing, I I wanted to say it then as women, we're, we're really susceptible to that. True. Do you believe in unconditional self love? I do believe in it. I don't know that it's possible, but I do believe in it. (laughs) <laughs> That's a good start, right? <laughs> yes, I do. I, I mean, I, I want to say I hope that we can love ourselves unconditionally. But again, if we, if we find flaws, that allows us the opportunity to work on them. So maybe we need to have some, um, some conditions. Yeah, yeah. What is another word for healing, Joan? For me, it's holing, making whole, uh, inviting all of our parts of parts of ourselves in. And I do believe that is one of the, the definitions of healing. It's to make whole again, to, to um, come into the fullness of who we are. Yeah. Yes. A thousand times. Yes. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? I don't want to make light of this, but I really need to tidy up. <laughs> I have I have so many places. I, I would hate to leave this world and have my children have to deal with some of my closets. But um, what did I do differently? You know, I have to say I don't know what I would do differently. Right. So that makes me very happy. Yeah, yeah. I like that too. I love the answer that some of my guests give. I wouldn't change a thing. I'm good to go. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a great answer. I, I hope it's really true. I'll, I'll have to reflect more deeply, but right now it feels right. true. Do you believe in life after death? I believe in something after death. So I think something goes on. I, I just, I, I don't even know why I believe that so much, but I do. I really do believe that, you know, when we have certain feelings of connections to people that are long gone or we feel particularly sensitive to something, I feel there is some kind of a continuation of something, energy, whatever. Um, 
So I don't know that, I know it's a recycling process, like uh, when something goes back into the earth and, and will become back into the earth where it came from. Um, so I feel like there's something like that, that I would just think that something would like that would happen. There's a recycling. Right, right. What are three things about life you know for sure as of today? <sighs> that we don't have a lot of control. <laughs> um, that we don't have a lot of control over the outer world, but we do have more control over our inner worlds than we know. That there is joy to be found, even in the midst of great pain and sorrow. There's gratitude that feeds me. And if I just pay attention, I will be rewarded. If I just pay attention to the moments of my life, I will be rewarded. Thank you so much for this conversation. It has been meaningful, fun. Um, I can hear in your voice the playfulness. uh, And I love your wisdom, too. Thank you. Well, thank you. It was wonderful to speak with you. Thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your work, books, products, services, and future projects? Well, my book, you gave the title, um, so I imagine that's available. Um, My email is joan at stanfordin.com. The Stanford Inn is in Mendocino. We offer programs here. I have different things on social media, but to be honest, I've really gone dormant there um, the last couple of years. But I do have a Facebook. I do have um, all those things. But the best is just email. And I'm very happy to connect with people. I I really love it. Uh, Some people do write to me from the book, and and it's one of the best things. Mm. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Joan, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, and be well. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Joan Stanford, please visit her website, joanstanford.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.